Hey everybody, welcome back to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Tara. And this is Jen. And we are, as promised, recording from the middle of the woods. And you can't see it because you're just listening in, but we're here. We're here and it's amazing. It's been a glorious three days of just getting away and doing whatever we feel like doing. It's been quiet. Some girls go to Vegas. If you're from the Midwest, <laughs> you might go to a house in the woods yeah. for quiet. Especially if you're like us. I know some people were like, wow, so you're going to go to a house in the middle of the woods and you're going to sit around and talk about serial killers and murderers? And we were like, yeah. Doesn't that sound like fun to you? And sounds like, like no. an amazing weekend. <laughs> I can't wait. But we know all of you out there are like, oh, that's my jam. Oh, so so cool. We had to tell you that's what we're doing. All right. Well, uh, we're going to continue with our entertainment Hollywood stories. Yeah. And if anything sneaks up behind me in this window of darkness, just <laughs> like let me meow, know. Meow. Yes. We have a the cat, cat pack. The cat pack. The oh, cat my pack. gosh. If we could have chronicled all of that, you guys. There are some cats out here that are just... They're our friends. Yeah, we've become friends over the past three days. Mandy. Yeah. No, Mindy. 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 Margo. Meow, meow. Meow, meow. <laughs> meow, meow's got a bigger sister, but we don't know her name yet. Maybe we'll get a picture for you. We haven't taken pictures, <laughs> but if we do, you'll see. They're cute. Oh. But I am going to tell you about the murder of Connie Navarro. Oh, okay. I recognize the last name. I was just going to ask so, Connie Navarro is also the mother of famous rock star and TV star Dave Navarro, which yeah. we know from Oh yeah, Jane's Addiction, yes. Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Tattoo, Ink Master, yes, that was a good and one. Carmen Electra. Till I remember, death do us part. I, yeah. Steve and I watched that. It was so good. I remember when they got married. I just, yeah, he was. I always thought he was so hot. He is hot. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you can say it. It's okay. Yeah, he's, hot. He's, he's hot. Because he's, he's like he, the bad boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I, I agree. Why do we have a soft spot for those guys? I don't know, but it's problematic, and I don't yeah. recommend it for anyone. No, probably not a good idea. Bad boys are for, like, college, and then you got to leave them behind somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you can't bring them with. You don't marry them. I love you, Steve. <laughs> Anyways, I'm so gonna, Connie, <laughs> I'm reserved judgment. <laughs> Connie was born as Constance Colleen Hopkins. She was murdered on March 3rd, 1983 by her deranged and controlling ex-boyfriend, John Dean Riccardi. Mm, yeah, I have not heard this one. It's uh, super sad. So Dave was only 15 at the time of his mother's murder. Wow. I can't imagine. No. No, we talk about all the things our kids are going through and all the emotional things that they have to deal with at such a young age, and to have that. They don't have real trauma. No. They have troubles, but not trauma like this. But this is, yeah. Uh, At the end, I'll talk a little bit about Dave and his journey with all this. It's Mm -hmm. pretty intense, but first things first. Yeah. So James Navarro, a.k.a. Mike, I'm assuming it's like James Michael Navarro. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Doesn't that sound right? Yeah. A lot of people use their middle names or just, I don't know. Some people are just like, you know what? I don't want to be called that anymore. We're just going to go with this. And they're like, all right, like, whatever you want. We'll go with it. So James Navarro, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Mike, met Connie in the office building where they worked. She was gorgeous. And he was immediately just in love with her and asked her out right away. She was a model. She was in magazines and on TV and game shows. She was even on The Price is Right. So I'll show you those pictures later. And when you see you're going to agree, she was that just beautiful blonde bombshell that the 70s was popular mm-hmm. for. You, I'm sure like you can... Like the Vera Fawcett type? Like, <sighs> kind Charlie's of. Charlie's Angels look? Kind of? A little bit. Like she had like this really like sleek blonde bob. Mm-hmm. She was just super cute. Yeah. And uh, they married, and they had Dave on June 7th, 1967. Unfortunately, they did divorce in 1975 when Dave was seven. But they they committed as a couple to raise Dave together. So they were that divorced yeah, couple. Yeah, like that family that really works hard to be amicable and 
do holidays together and have right. dinner together once in a while. And it's, it's, that's, I think that's so awesome when I see it. It's that. gotta be hard. But it has whenever to be I hard. see it, I'm very I'm I impressed. Just, yes. And I'm, I'm like, you know what, you guys? Divorce is a really hard, tough thing. And it's really awful, especially on the kids. And for you to do that, you know, for the family. It means a Way lot. Way to go. Yeah. So they worked together to raise Dave, and they stayed good friends. They hung out. They went out to dinner, just the three of them as a family, and they supported each other. I, That's awesome. I mean, it just it's it's sad when people get divorced, but you just you just know when you know, like, I love you, but this isn't working out, right? Yeah, I well, mean, it seems like they still cared about each other. They did. It just... So Dave talks about, in his documentary, and this is just something I observed, she just said... He just talks about how his mom was, you know, she raised a kid through, you know, the 60s and the 70s, and she was super young, and she just wanted to be that, like, independent woman. hmm Yeah. Okay. That's all. But he he talks about how he felt safe with both of his parents. Like, he felt loved. He didn't feel... There wasn't any anger between the two of them. There wasn't, you know, some of that divorce drama nonsense that yeah. goes on. yeah. But so he, you know, his parents start dating and he, his mom, even though both of his parents were in his life, his mom was like his go-to. He was a mama's boy. Yeah. Uh, But he said, you know, he could equally go to both of his parents. He always felt very loved and very safe. And, but when they both started, both of his parents started to date, then Connie, she eventually met 30-year-old John Dean Riccardi at a Super Bowl party. And he was instantly mesmerized by her beauty. She was equally as charmed by his good looks. Uh, he was an amateur bodybuilder. He was attractive. And he portrayed himself as wealthy. Mm-hmm. Portrayed. Portrayed. And it wasn't long before Dean was staying with Dave and Connie overnight more often than not. Not to make anyone confused. Because <laughs> there's lots of names. John Dean Riccardi. They call him Dean everywhere. So he also went by his middle okay, name. Yeah. It must have been a popular thing then. Yeah. A lot of so. people, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was really, yeah, super common. Even with some of the people that I went to college with. They just, yeah, they just, they go by their middle name instead of yeah. their first name. Yeah. Maybe they're like a junior. I, I mean, there's all different reasons why yeah. people do that. So like I said, he's staying with Dave and Connie more often than not. And he's doing his laundry there. He's pretty much living there. He's got his own place, but he's mm-hmm. mostly with them. And Dave really took to Dean. He originally liked Dean a lot. Not that he didn't like Connie's other boyfriends prior, but he, you know, Dean was just this strong male figure. He just carried his way himself in a way that was very charismatic mm-hmm. and Yeah. Yeah. But there Dean was a con man. So he was used to being charming and charismatic and winning people over. Right. So he basically conned mm. Dave and Connie. He kept his his past a secret from them, but he ultimately, he was a con man from New York that moved to L.A. He, back in New York, Dean, with along with one of his con man friends, they would dress up as wealthy real estate entrepreneurs, and they would case very expensive homes that they would later burglarize. Huh. I know. Yeah. Wow. It's very gutsy. Yeah, but I, I could see how you could get away with it back then. You know? But there's, there's no cameras or, no, I mean, there's cameras, like but today. not like now. Where, right. Yeah. And you, I mean, back then... If you were coming to see a property or a house, I mean, now you want to know who you are, where you're from, who you're with. Right. Correct. But like back then, hey, there's an open house and it's at this $8 million home and come on We're just going to go wander around. Have some cookies. Yes, exactly. So very different. And I read that he was really, really good at breaking in. Probably not the best quality to have, but he was good at it. And many people didn't even know that they had been robbed until days later. Because he was also very careful about what he took. So he would take expensive jewelry, clocks, you know, like the real fancy stuff that mm-hmm. rich people have. But, that like, you... things that may have been, like, tucked away and not really in eyesight. So yeah. just like didn't really notice that it wasn't there. The crystal clock, like, on the corner yeah. or the desk. You know, That's stuff... wor- somehow worth, like, 25 grand. And... Yes, yes. And yeah. he knew exactly what to what, to, what to shop for. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. He was good at, he was really, really good at what he did. So he'd be like, ah, oh, going on a business trip, and he'd be off doing... That was his business. This. Yeah. And he, he was just really good at breaking in. He could take off a window and come in, burglarize, and put the window back on somehow with no one even noticing. That's, That's crazy. It's a special talent. But he did end up landing in some trouble in New York, and he was a convicted felon, and he decided... That's when he decided he was going to move to L.A., which is also a great place to be a con man. I feel like oh, he blend sure. in pretty I'm well. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure he thrived doing that there. Yeah. All the flashy, Yeah, you know, this is mine. I picture people, like, showing off what they have, and Dean's like, I'll get that later. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't long before Dean's obsession with Connie became unhealthy. He was very controlling. He wanted to know who she was talking to, where she's been, what time she'll be going home. What took you so long? Why are you doing that? Who you, you know, that... The classic, like... <sighs> what am I trying to say? Where you just... You, not, just of course, the controlling, but also just, like, the whole cutting them off from, like, their friends and the people that they normally talk to and telling them, yeah. you know, what to wear and how to do... Everything. Yeah. Controlling their lives entirely. And during all this time, he was still doing his thing in L.A., so he was acting like he was this businessman and everything to Connie, and he would say he would go to visit his dad in New York, but he was really just going on one of his little, like, crime sprees because he'd be gone for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did everything possible so that Connie did not know about his past. She had no idea what he had done. Well, and when you're dating somebody, you're not doing background especially back then you're not doing like a background check you're not like verifying like place of employment or asking like you kind of take people at face value well and he was you know i mean i still do i'm not gonna be like oh is that really where you work you know what i mean yeah were you gonna do call yeah yeah it's a weird so he was so he was always flashing his wealth around and she just went with it he you know she didn't have a reason to question dean and dave really got along well but the, eventually, the jealousy and his controlling behavior, she just, she couldn't take it anymore. Well, but he that's was, why she got divorced in the first place, right? Not because her husband was like that, and that's not what I'm saying, but just because she wanted to be independent she, and do her own thing. Right. Yes. She wanted to experience yeah. that, and Dean was obviously not letting that happen. And he was also very secretive. So it was one of those, I need to know everything about you, what you're doing, what you ate, where you went, but... What I do is my business. Don't worry about what's going on over here. Yes. You know that type. I do, unfortunately. They stayed together for about two years, although she does try to break it off multiple times. Friends said that Dean was a master manipulator, and he would use all kinds of excuses to keep Connie coming back or keep her there. Mm -hmm. He would say, oh, you know, it's Christmas. I can't be alone on Christmas. We need to be together. He would make threats to kill himself, and, you know, he's lonely, and she would give in. But I could see it, because I did see it. I saw it. I I know exactly the type you're talking about. Yeah, he was good at what he did. Yeah. She officially ends the relationship in January of 1983, and this is when he goes next-level stalker. So we have to remember that Dean does not have a day job. He doesn't work. People say and that's he, the worst because they can put all of their time and energy into, into stalking. So want. he put his entire livelihood into making every moment of Connie's life miserable. He just tortured her. I can't even imagine. That would be horrible. Listen to some of the things he did. Oh. He was an awful, vile man. So Connie has a new job and she meets with an executive for dinner. It was a business meeting, and at the end of the meeting, the gentleman, who I might add is happily married, leans in and gives Connie a peck on the cheek before leaving. Okay, but it's still inappropriate. Maybe, but you have to remember, this is 1980. Yeah, This isn't 2020. It's 1980. And I have to remember that there's still a lot of people who greet with kissing, and it's not a big deal. It's just part of their culture or how they... There was nothing... Nothing that went on that made Connie feel threatened or anything. I have to remember the time period because I'm trying to think about that today and I'm like, you yeah, can't that's do not that. going to go over very well. No, but 
So when this guy gets back to his hotel room, the phone rings, he answers it, and the man on the other end of the phone basically says, what are you doing seeing my girlfriend? You know, he's confused, and he's like, you're not going to see her again. And if you do see her again, I'm going to break her knees. Her knees. Her knees. Wow. Okay. Crazy, right? Yeah. Next day, he gets another phone call. And the guy says, I know your flight itinerary. How would you like me to visit your wife? Oh, my God. Crazy. Crazy. The only way that he would have known these things, because he knew his room number. He knew his flight. He knew all. He had to have broken into the guy's, like, rental Mm -hmm. car, his car, right? Or something, yeah. Broke somehow, or he broke into his his hotel, hotel room and got his flight itinerary. That's crazy. So this guy, when he got back to, I believe it was Cincinnati, he called Connie and was like, "Red flags, Connie." <laughs> yeah, this happened. I mean, this guy threatened to to visit his wife if he had contact with Connie again. So another time. Connie's out to a restaurant with her friends. They're all sitting at a table, eating, enjoying. Dean walks up. He sits at the table across from Connie. He folds his arms, like he crosses his arms as he's sitting at the table, and he just stares at her. He doesn't say anything. He just sits there. It makes everybody feel very uncomfortable. So her friends start saying, like, hey, Dean, how's it going? Like, what's going on, man? Like... He doesn't say anything. He stands up. He makes the shape of a gun with his hand. And he points it at her like he's shooting her and walks away. Oh, my God. She wasn't even on a date or anything. She was no. with her girlfriends. Could you imagine? But she's not allowed to go out or do she's anything. She's not allowed to do anything. She's not she allowed to do anything. She was living in complete fear. He basically told her, no one else can have you. This is it. He began breaking into her condo and going through her things. He would listen to her answering machine. When she was at home, just break in and do a little checkup. So one day, Dave happened to be home from school sick, and he was alone. His mom used to run, so she went out for a run that morning. Mm -hmm. Dave was homesick. Dean breaks in. I know. I can't even imagine. So Dave could hear someone. He could hear something happening and he looks and he could see Dean coming off of their balcony into the house. Dean had actually removed the sliding glass door. Wow. Okay. So he's like taking whole doors off. He like now. took the whole door off. So the, like, he, would he actually take the entire window and frame and everything off? Just too? said like I think here he probably just like popped like the door. I mean, think it's the eighties, those metal doors and like condos. Yeah. Where you could just like that's not what I was picturing. So yeah, you're right. You know, just he sees doing this and like coming in. He was scared to death. He had no idea what to do. So he hears. Dean going through the things. He's hearing Dean play the answering machine. Rustling through things. You know the usual. Could you imagine? So Dave just pretends pretends to act abused. And he calls out, Mom? Dean? Mom? And so even though Dave, well, he knows it's Dean. He knows what's going on. But he pretends to act confused. So then Dean is like, oh, Dave, it's me. No, don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Like. He just was. And then Dave comes back and he's like, oh, thank God. It's you. I thought someone was trying to break in. I heard something crazy. Yeah. They're both playing this game. They both know they're bullshitting. Yeah. So Dean's like, oh, don't worry. There's nothing going on. It's just me. No one's trying to break in. Yeah, I'll take a look around. No big deal. say break in, Dean. What are you talking about? He goes and he, like, puts the sliding glass door back on. Mm -hmm. And then he calls Dave into his mom's bedroom. Because that's where he came in. Yeah. 
was through her balcony. That's where the sliding glass door was. Calls Dave in, tells him to sit down on the bed, and he pulls a gun out from underneath the bed. And he proceeds to tell Dave how much he misses his mom and if he wants her back. And if that doesn't happen, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He may kill himself or do something bad. Dave freaks out and he tries to run. This guy's got a gun? Yeah. Telling him these things. Could you imagine? No. 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 Dean catches him, shoves him into the bathroom. He pulls out handcuffs and proceeds to handcuff Dave to the toilet. So Dave's crying. Dean leaves him there and tells him, shut up. Don't make a, don't make a sound. Dean leaves. Dave's handcuffed to the toilet. He can hear his mom come home. And he's handcuffed to the toilet. He's thinking, oh my God, he's going to kill my mom and then he's going to kill me. Yeah. But he's scared to make a noise. He hears this confrontation downstairs. Dean confronts her. He could hear, like, smacking. And he could hear yelling. He can hear her asking, like, where's Dave? What's going on? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Dean yells upstairs to Dave, say something so your mom knows you're okay. So, you know, Dave's literally handcuffed to the toilet. And he's like, I'm okay, Mom. I'm okay. I can't even believe that. Then confrontation happens. He comes upstairs. He uncuffs Dave, tells his mom to tell, or tells him not to say anything to his mom and don't tell anyone else or else. And he leaves. Oh, okay. Trauma. I thought it was over right then. Oh my God. No, that goes on. That's even worse. I, so this is, this is the kind of thing we were talking about and we're not going to get into all the stuff that we were talking about, of course, but I just, you can't stop them. So I also read that she had a restraining order, but there's nothing I don't you know can if do with that piece I of paper, verify that, but it did, it didn't do anything. And he restraining basically, restraining orders aren't going to do anything. And it's like, she, when they confront her, she's like, how did you get in? And he tells her no lock will keep me out. And I believe it. No, you can't stop someone. Someone who is determined to do something, they're going to do it. Unless they're they're stopped. He, in the documentary, Dave says, my mom, he murdered my mom because he couldn't accept no. She didn't want, he, he couldn't accept it, right? It was such a, the way he, the, when he explained it and the way he said it, it was just really, really powerful. It was basically, he just couldn't handle her no. Mm-hmm. Well, in today's world, there's a lot of people who can't handle, handle. all sorts of shit. And all they just resort no's. to violence because they can't mm-hmm. cope. And oh, I think that's another podcast. No, but for real, there needs to be. There's no boundaries in a lot of relationships. No, but there needs to be something better for women who need help. There has to be something better than, well, here's a piece of paper. Good luck to you. Oh my gosh, we could go on for hours. Yes, I have so much to say about that. It's not okay. It's No, it's not okay. It's terrifying. You and I both know there's several people out there that we know that we're just, we're just... No, I, you've heard my There's going to be a phone call one day. I was in a terrible relationship where I came home and he was hiding in my closet at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, yeah. I had a restraining order at that time and I thought I was going to die. This is Terrifying. what movies are made of. Yes. But you couldn't. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It was, it's really scary. She, I mean, she was living in fear. She was scared to turn every corner. She was. She was considering... Unfortunately, that's when women need to go out and get trained. Yeah. They saying. need to get self-defense classes. They need to learn how to shoot. And they need to keep that gun for protection. Yeah. It was different then, though. Yeah, but right now, you heard me, women. That's what you need to do. <laughs> I agree. And if he takes a step, you don't... You don't I'm hesitate. Like broke into your house. Hell no. You know what? Break then. Break that lock. I dare you. Break mm-hmm. into my house. I agree. So, Connie... All this is going on. Mike, her ex-husband, knows this guy is giving her a hard time. He's, it's not good. 
she's considering to move for like a new start to get away from him because she's terrified. And on the night of the murder, Dean meets a friend for dinner. And later this friend says that during the dinner, he did nothing but speak about Connie. That was it. You know those like weird like or when a friend's gone through a bad breakup and you meet up for them and they do nothing but talk about how you know what I mean whether it be good or bad. Yeah. yeah. So that's why the entire time all he talked about was Connie. Then he calls Connie and then he gets super upset when she doesn't answer the phone and he's like bitch didn't answer the phone like he was super hot like called her names and he cut dinner short like he was done. We all know where he ended up. He ended up in Connie's condo that night. So on March 3rd, 1993, Connie returns to her condo with her best friend, Sue Jory, and Dave actually called her aunt. That's how close they were. It was his aunt, Sue. Oh, So they wasn't really his aunt. Yeah. But that's how close they were. So they get back to the condo around 10 o'clock, and Connie goes upstairs for something... Yeah, I want to run upstairs and change or whatever, whatever it might have been. And she meets Dean, who was hiding in her bedroom. He shoots her in the chest twice using a pillow as a silencer. (laughs) Sue hears the conversation and goes up the stairs. At the top of the stairs, Dean shoots her in the jaw and ends up going through her neck. Kills her right away. He, Connie's still alive. He drags her and puts her in the linen closet and puts a pillow over her face. She's hardly alive, but the pillow was the last thing to smother her. (sighs) He ends up then also dragging Sue's body into Connie's bedroom and he tries to clean up a little bit to make look like it was like a home intrusion, a home invasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the documentary... It talks about how it kind of goes into that that next day where Mike, he's worried because he hasn't wor- heard from Connie. So he actually goes to, and he knew she was having trouble with this guy. Yeah. She, he's worried. He goes to school, to Dave's school, and gets Dave's house key. Because he's going to go check out yeah. the condo. He goes to the condo, and he uses the key to get in. And, of course, there is where he finds Connie and Sue. And he knows exactly, instantly, he knows exactly who did this. They end up with a warrant, and they go to Dean's home. They find guns, ammo, and just a treasure of stolen property. But Dean is gone. He's nowhere to be found. LAPD contacts the FBI because Dean is on the run. Dave's dad gives him the news of his mother's death. You know, he's shocked. He's heartbroken. Dave has a lot of things going on in his head because he can't help but to think he was supposed to be there that night. That was his night with his mom. But his mom and dad had switched. So on a normal week, Dave would have been home. Dave would have been shot too. So he's got survivor's guilt. Yeah. So he's got this guilt and this grief and this fear because his his mother's murderer is still out there. And Dean knows where his dad lives. Oh, my God. So, is he coming after Dave? Is he coming after his dad? Like, what's going on? Um, That night, Dave smokes a joint. And for the first time, he discovers its ability to numb. And he says it was at that moment he became an addict. He continued to use drugs to numb and escape pain for years. So he mentions how so he's fi- but he mentions how he's fifteen years old. So they would mess around. They would drink at a party, or you know, yeah. it wasn't his first time getting high, and he wasn't doing it a lot at that time. But he says, like he, you know, it was the first time where he realized that that would shut off his feelings, and he didn't want to feel anything because he was feeling so much that he couldn't help but notice that it had that effect. When, when before he was probably just hanging, he was out just crying. Fine. Yeah, wasn't, that's really that you're paying attention. That's to. really, really powerful. It is. To recognize it. Because I think a lot of people do it, but they don't realize it. They don't know why they're doing it. Yes. They don't know why it's 
the alternative. He knew what it was doing. He goes on and he has success, right? We talked about Jane's addiction. Yeah. And I, I mean, I knew Dave had issues with substance abuse, but I had no idea the extent. Intense heroin addict. Oh, man. Wow. Bad. Dark. Real bad. And in the documentary, he talks about how basically the the murder of his mother shaped every aspect of his life. Like all future relationships, his addictions, you know, his relationships, professional and personal. And not until he got much older did he even realize that. Right. He looks back and he, yeah. He's like, I get it now. Yeah. Well, it's... uh, I see that theme in actually quite a few things that we have done lately or that we listened to even that podcast that we that you recommended to me dying for sex yes she taught and it's a completely different story than this not even those two aren't even at all related to the same anything no, but they i don't have one saying. thing in common except for the fact that tragedies early on shaped everything that they did in their she life and all their trauma that affected her yes that trauma yeah. she carried forever and did not yeah. have any idea it was shaping the rest of her life yes and i think there's just so many people out there that that that's what's going on but they just they can't, they can't well dave it. never i shouldn't say he got therapy but he didn't get therapy from what i understand until later in life like maybe he did but he doesn't talk about having therapy at this point yeah. in his life or how. Well, they didn't really. It wasn't pushed. So back then, people didn't talk about it. They just swept their feelings under the rug. And they were just like, ah, oh, we're just not going to go there. We're just not going to. We're not going to. Especially therapy, really. Yeah. And, and, and typically, if, if somebody was going to therapy, it would be, it would be women. Women mm-hmm. don't have as much of a problem with that, right? Because men yeah. have well, always I mean, grown up. Well, if his dad was murdered, not... his mom would yeah. most more likely be like, we need to take you to Correct. therapy. But it was the but other guys way around. Don't, they don't seek mm-hmm. that help. And now, Mm-mm. you can't find a therapist. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we're in an epidemic of Can mass proportions. It's, I'm still... You know, it's ha- I'm, like I said, I'm happy and sad about it. I'm mm-hmm. happy to hear that people are getting help. But I'm sad that so many people feel they need it. That's a very twisted cycle. Yeah. It's And maybe things could have been different if Dave had gotten help at an early age. But his family, his cousins, they all talk about how Dave didn't want to talk about it. So we didn't talk about it. We did what yeah. Dave wanted to do. And then he even said how, you know, at a very young age, he got caught driving around with beer in the car and he was high and he, they get pulled over and he's like, my mom, my mom was Connie Navarro. And they're like, oh, buddy, like, so we're sorry, we're going to let you go. Yes. So he was like, I'm feeling bad today. I'm not going to school. So my mom just died. And everyone's like, it's all right. Nobody knew right. what to do with that. So they excused all of his behavior, but it was a yes. downward spiral, but yeah. they didn't. No one wanted to say, no, Dave, you need to get your ass to school. It was uncomfortable. Because no, nobody wants to talk right. about the uncomfortable things. Or they like, were letting Dave decide how he was going to cope with his trauma, and it wasn't in a healthy way. I could see that. Yeah, it's, I mean, totally. It's, I don't know. But it would take eight years and a feature on America's Most Wanted. I thought you would appreciate that. Before wow. Dean would be caught. They, so we know at this time there wasn't the internet, right? You couldn't send out a mass mm-hmm. blast. There's not all this. So they actually, the FBI reached out to America's most wanted. How cool is that? That is cool. Yeah. Uh, they re- received their first tip after their first show aired and it placed Riccardi or Dean at a gym in New York. So they know he's alive and he's in New York, which makes sense. This could be him because that's where he came from. Police go to the gym, and they say he hasn't been there for five days. He, it could be that he saw. Oh yeah, the feature. The America's Most Wanted. He's probably on the run again, right? They air the show again, and they get another tip that they believe that Dean had had plastic surgery. They track down the doctor who did the plastic surgery in New Jersey and get pics. They get photos yeah. from the doctor. It's like, no. Okay. Oh, cool. No, this is But crazy. he got plastic surgery, so. Yeah. It doesn't say why, but I would assume it's because he's trying to keep it on the DL. 
The third airing, airing of America's Most Wanted, a person calls in and says they know exactly where Dean is. He's in Houston, Texas, and they have an address. So now he's in Texas, and he has set up a whole new burglar ring. So he's doing the same thing that he did in New York and in L.A. in Houston. Okay. He just got different, different people helping yeah. him. Mm-hmm. On January 4th, 1991, caught in his condo parking lot, he's surrounded by Houston FBI, and they bring him in. They search his condo for any evidence of the murder of Connie and Sue, or of his burglaries, because they he's kind of known as well. Um, they find just an ungodly amount of treasure again, just very expensive clocks and watches and all kinds of nonsense. Trinkets. Yes, yes, expensive <laughs> trinkets. Yeah. And they also find a copy of his America's Most Wanted episode. Talk about a narcissist. Wow. He had a copy of his own episode. (laughs) Okay. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... I don't know. I, right? So he denies everything, of course. He denies the murder, everything. While he's in a Houston courthouse, he decides that he's going to make a run for it. This guy's a pill. He smashes a window and crawls out onto the ledge of the 10th floor. Mm-hmm. He's going to jump. So people, no, he's not. He loves people, himself too much. He does. You're <laughs> right. So people start gathering below and they're chanting, jump, jump, <laughs> jump. Really? That's our society. Yeah. Oh my! I'm sorry. I laughed. But he's a. He's a. But he's a. He's a piece of shit. Garbage. Yes. But, and he's yelling back things at them like "Go home." (laughs) It just gives you. You have to laugh because it almost sounds like. It sounds like it It doesn't even sound real. Like something that you would see in a movie. News helicopters are going by. I mean, this was a big deal. It took them twelve hours to get him off of that ledge. Oh, my God. He's unstoppable. He's in Texas. He gets three years for theft, and then he's extradited to California for the murder of Connie Navarro and Sue Drury. Now, his case, as we're against, Dean was going down at this point. There's actually two witnesses that come forward. One was his, remember I told you how he had a friend that used to dress up with him and pretend to be... Oh, yeah, yeah. This guy comes forward and says that Dean called him and told him in detail how he killed the two women. Well, but like you called it, he's a narcissist and he needs to get some kind of an accolade for everything that he does. And I'm sure he didn't think he was going to get caught. No, obviously not. He can get away with anything. Totally. So guess who the next, the other witness is. And I feel like if this is the other witness, you're pretty much done. Who do you think it would be? the guy that interviewed her his stepmom oh his stepmom his stepmom came forward and said that he had called his father and told him that he had killed those two women but he was on the lam like no one had seen him Okay. So everyone knew, yeah, you know, because at first I was like, well, if they knew that, why didn't they say anything? And then I was like, duh, everybody knew he did it. They just couldn't find him. Yeah, yeah. So they had two witnesses that said, Dean told me he did it. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Stepmom. Okay. Well, we had never talked about her in the story. So I had she no know, idea. But I'm like, like, I don't know. The guy that. I just feel like when you have a family member like that, like your yeah. mom or your stepmom coming forward and saying something, you're oh, done. Yeah. When you have someone at that magnitude turning on you, not turning on you, but doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, you're pretty you're pretty done. Good for her. Uh so Dave took the stand as a witness as well during this trial. I think he was like twenty six. I can't No, but he he had to do something, I'm sure. He... No, it was and I saw a video of him and his dad in the courtroom and his dad was crying and Dave was, like, comforting his dad, and I think that just shows just how, even though they weren't married, and 
they cared about yeah, each other. It they just, loved each other. They wanted the best for each the, other. The amount of lives that this yeah. affected still this many years later. And he got on the stand and he took his story and he, he basically told the jury, you know, this happened. And after this happened, this happened and this happened. And I've been in and out of rehab and I can't cope with the pain. And he was very honest and candid and it was very powerful. And I commend him because I don't know if I could, I could have done that. I think you would have, because it was, I think you would probably feel that was the only thing that you had in your power to do was to stand up and help put this guy behind bars and get him everything he deserved because he wasn't there that day. You know what I mean? He needed something to like. Yeah. So to, to, to make it right, to do his part. I know what you're saying. So in 1994, Dean was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of Connie Navarro and Sue Drury. But in 2014, Dean was resentenced to life in prison without parole. They found a loophole. They always find a loophole. They always do. They claim that he was denied a fair trial because the trial judge had excused a prospective jury or juror during the jury selection. So I'm sure it was one of those things where he excused him and, you know, wasn't given permission or, you know, they're very specific, like how you have so many, you can excuse so many people and you Mm -hmm. can excuse so many people. You know how that process, I mean, I don't know know how that process is, but I know it's very intricate. And if you don't follow all the rules. Well, like I said, I mean, one person forgets the initial one line of something and. That person walks. That person. Yeah. You have to be. You can't make mistakes. No, you can't. Unfortunately. Uh, so that's just... You know I what I mean? Was, yeah. No, I do know what it's you mean. It's very rigid. It's, there's like, no room Human for error, error happens, but it, it just can't. Sorry. It can't. No, it's like that in healthcare, too. I get it. Yeah. 100%. There's yeah. no oh, room you for do. error. <laughs> you make an error. Somebody dies. Yeah. You can't it's do that. Uh, so I watched... Uh, there's like an auto biography documentary that Dave Navarro made with one of his friends and it's called Morning Sun and it's not Morning Sun like sunshine but Morning Sun he's oh, is this the dark this is the dark yes oh. he I know he's but you didn't tell me what we were going to be talking about but you told me that you watched a really dark documentary that was interesting but just was like because the opening was very um yeah. Dave's very eccentric and he's he, and so he basically the documentary is his life and how the murder of his mother shaped his life. So it talks a lot about his you know his addiction, his trouble with relationships and um his coping and he actually visits Dean in prison during he this does. documentary. Yes. How does that go? Well, like he's in San Quentin. So you can't have any video. Mm -hmm. Uh, He comes out and he's just really shaken and, oh, it makes me so sad to talk about. He's so upset and he's, he's disappointed that he didn't reach over the table and attack him. Well, I'm sure that he, like he, if I didn't have that. Guys like Dean, he took that moment, that opportunity Mm -hmm. to get to him. Yeah, like he wanted, he felt like he probably should have attacked him, but he didn't. And he says how it's like, it was a surreal experience. He can't even, he's not even sure if that actually happened, which obviously it did. But Mm -hmm. there was this, all this emotion and everything built up that when he got in there with him, he didn't know what to do. Well, I 100%. I couldn't. I can't even imagine being mm -hmm. put in a situation where you have to figure out how it's going to well, go. Well, and Dean just said, say, how, how, how did you get in here? I didn't give them permission to get, to let you in. Hmm. So he's saying like, you can't even be here. I didn't say that I would see you. He's still a dick. He's like oh, old as hell. And he's still yeah. just, well, I told you, I'm sure every opportunity he has to make somebody's life miserable in any way that he can, he, from where, from, prison he will yeah no I, he's that I agree. type of guy he's not gonna be the guy that's like i'm really sorry yes he doesn't have any regrets so this day me. he still didn't do he's it or it was a... her fault yes yeah. he's totally that guy 
Dave talks about how making the documentary really gave him, it brought him the ability to remember his mom outside of the murder. So for more, for so many years, that's all she was, his murdered mom. Mm-hmm. And this, they show all these, I mean, they show these gorgeous pictures of her, of her and Dave and like the family and like yeah. mini clips of them all together. All the memories. And this was able to make him, give him the ability to remember her for more, like remember all those good times they had together. And, and he also wants to bring awareness to other people and other kids like to know that you have like with this trauma it does happen to people and you need to get help and you need to talk about it and he's doing all kinds of great things he is he does art and i mean he's an advocate it i mean he's he's a good guy he's obviously had his demons but well it shaped him into what he's doing now and if he's helping people and putting that to good use then that's what was so incredibly talented and everything that he does yeah he's so good i will say so funny side note marilyn manson is in this and he talks so we know he's in trouble Mm -hmm. so he talks about you have to see it. I'll have to show you about it. I just thought there was irony in that because he's in trouble for like mistreating women and yeah, you know, it was just very interesting to hear his point of view because he was acting like he was a good guy. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it because this was made before all of those accusations and all the bad things he did was brought to light. So to hear him talk about how Connie was treated and, all of these when he's that when same he type was a guy yes do you know am i making all sense all these guys are right they're they're fake they're fake they know how to they know how to get in they know how to get in and get their hooks into these people and they trust them yeah they're very they, manipulative yeah but that was that's my story of dave navarro who through this tragedy and trauma went on to be an amazing human being. And the part that I was talking to about in the documentary, so they put like these pins in his head, Mm -hmm. Dave's forehead, and he's bleeding into a wine glass. Mm -hmm. It's, It's very, if you do not know what's going on, you're very confused. I just and that's how it started. Steve out. was watching it. I mean, Steve watched it with me, and he was just like, "What is going on?" <laughs> but they collected this his blood, and this artist painted a picture of his mom with his blood in his blood because Dave's dark. We know he's dark. I mean, that's that's pretty dark, right there. The picture I have to show it to you is gorgeous. Really? Yes. Okay. It's so weird. And it sounds like really messed up. I know. I know. But I, he, I do appreciate him. He did laugh and smile a lot in the documentary. And he was talking about how like comedy and humor is how he, he survives any type of, of tragedy, any type of horror, or sadness. He's going to be the guy that makes the asshole side comment. <laughs> That everyone thinks is insulting, yeah. but he, that's the only way he can cope in that moment is just. And I 100% to say something inappropriate. That. Right. So it was, I did appreciate that about him. I fell in love with him. <laughs> we, we both know that's kind of what we do too. Yeah. I mean, we don't always, we don't always, act, we don't always say those things on here because, well, I try to have more of a filter. Yeah, especially today. I feel like I can't I can't make those side comments that I'd normally make here and there, but also just you have to. You have to you have to find something in every situation so that you're not going that dark. You can't let yourself go to that place. Yeah, you have to kind of you have to laugh about it even if it's not funny. <laughs> Cuz you don't, you'll just be sad all the time. I don't know if that even makes sense. but No, but it does. I mean, you just, you have to find a way to cope with it. I, I saw that a lot with my dad, you know? I mean, he saw some really dark, crazy, awful things. And he is the most sarcastic, 
That's why I love him. You know, I'm like, oh, did you hear what he just said? <laughs> I mean, he would always make me laugh whenever I was upset or sad. But that's just how he did things. And oh, yeah. That's how I do things. And I'm okay with that. I do that now. And unfortunately, my daughter, my oldest, has picked that up. And it's not. <laughs> she needs to grow into it a little bit more because she's scaring people with the things that come out of her mouth. But I she that. also picked, she has picked that up as well. So when she's uncomfortable or. She just gets sarcastic she says, and makes those sideways comments that, yeah, that kind yeah. of bring her a chuckle. Yeah. Not always everyone They else. either go over really well and it's <laughs> hilarious or you're just like, whoa. <laughs> but. Uh, All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I didn't. I did. I did not know that story. I did not know that story. That's heartbreaking. And I'm so glad that they finally caught him i'm sorry i couldn't say anything i was like on the edge of my seat waiting for you to say more and you well, just looked at me and i'm, I'm like so, give me more well <laughs> and i just really appreciated the america's most wanted tie in yeah there because yeah i remember how big that was and watching it and i mean the reason why the shows even came about and yeah no that's yeah. very cool i thought it was cool. it's very cool i remember watching that too I always thought I would see somebody that I knew on there. I was like waiting to see like my neighbor or some oh guy gosh. on the street or whatever. My neighbors. somebody was yes, exactly. <laughs> it was always like they had. You convinced it was the guy next door. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And sometimes it was. You might have called in your neighbor. I'm like, holy shit, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, they got crazy tips. They did. Um, I right. know. I really, I really enjoyed that one. I appreciated it. We may have to watch that documentary tonight because it's really brought brought back some memories of. You know, the yeah. music. And the, the good old days. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. When I, I remember hearing about it a long time ago and obviously not a good tragedy, but I just remember yeah. and thinking like having this light bulb moment, like it makes sense now before I even read that he admitted that this trauma is what caused it. I just remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh shit, he's acting this way. Wow. No, I had no idea. I had no idea, but that it's very eye-opening. So, well, I think it's time for a snack. It's definitely time for a snack. Till next time from the uh, from the woods. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.